This podcast is sponsored by MSA Globe. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop advanced safety equipment with performance and protection in perfect balance. Like Globe Athletics, the latest innovation in turnout gear. Developed as athletic gear for firefighters, athletics uses unique stretch fabrics that provide body contoured fit for unprecedented range of motion and flexibility. It's lighter weight, less bulky, and provides the protection you need from your Globe turnout gear. Get the full story at msa.com slash globe. Hello and welcome to Today on Firehouse. I'm Peter Matthews, Editor-in-Chief of Firehouse Magazine and Conference Director for Firehouse Expo. Thank you for joining us on the latest podcast. We appreciate you joining us. And uh, we are now on Apple Podcasts. It took a while, but uh, you can finally find us on Apple Podcasts. We're on all the podcast playing streams right now. So if you're if you're downloading your streaming from another location and you're an Apple person, that's uh, that's a great spot to get it from. Uh, I'd like to thank MSA and Globe for their continued sponsorship and support of this podcast. Uh, they've been a terrific partner of Firehouse. So thank you to the folks at MSA and Globe for continuing to work with us on these podcast programs. Uh, today, I'm really excited to have Charles Warner join us. Charles has been a longtime columnist for, for Firehouse. Uh, actually, uh, thanks to Charles, I have a job because he was one of the ones that helped bring uh, the World Wide Web into the Firehouse brand many, many years ago. So, Charles, thank you for joining us. And, and if you could tell us a little bit about, a little bit about your background on the fire side and the technology side, because even if folks don't know exactly who you are, there's a good chance that something they're going to use today or this week has had your hands or your thoughts behind it uh, into making the fire service a, a much more educated, uh, connected, and, and smarter uh, place to be. Sure. Thanks, Peter, for uh, having me on today. Uh, it's It's been an honor to work with Firehouse Magazine all these years. And uh, just to give you some background, uh, so I spent 37 years in the Charlottesville Fire Department, the last 10 years as fire chief. And uh, then I retired and became the uh, senior advisor and acting deputy state coordinator with the Virginia Department of Emergency Management. Throughout my career in both of those particular positions that I was in, technology has been a big part of what I did. Um, I was one of the early adopters of the Internet, uh, was one of the first five uh, fire departments to have uh, a website uh, on the internet. And it was that impetus that uh, I reached out to Firehouse Magazine and, and had written my first article called uh, internet, internet, The Internet, A Global Fire Service. And uh, I did what you're not supposed to do, and I sent it to three magazines uh, and uh, said, first come, first serve. And that was on Friday and on Monday, Harvey Eisner called me and said, hey, uh, we'd like the article. And from that, it kind of started an, an ongoing conversation and, and asking, would I be interested in being a technology advisor and um, help do technology articles for Firehouse Magazine? So I thank Firehouse Magazine for the opportunity to have been able to explore things, express things, uh, and share it with uh, with the world. And um, it, it's been it's been a fun experience uh, to where, as you mentioned, I have I've talked about all kinds of technology, everything from uh, the David Clark headsets for hearing protection to uh, thermal image cameras, uh, the use of and the difference it makes, uh, iPads on fire apparatus, uh, and now more recently uh, drones. And um, so I've had I've had a great experience. I you, you mentioned Firehouse early on. I was I, I actually was asked by Firehouse to help them understand email and help them transition into start using email and uh, then the website, which we all know today is Firehouse.com. 
Yeah, and, and I think back to, to the beginning days, I mean, I started uh, with Firehouse just a few months after Firehouse.com started, so in 99, you know, and that, that's when we had uh, your column, Hotspots on the Web, every month in the magazine, which would highlight and feature fire department websites. So, um, you know, so, since your time here, you've certainly helped uh, Firehouse evolve with technology. And, and really, uh, I mean, if you think back, that was only 21 years ago, 20, yeah, 21 years ago. And, and, and how much has changed, right? You don't you don't really feature fire department websites anymore because there's so many of them you never be able to keep up, and um, and just everything else that we've done. So that hotspots on the web was really the first opportunity for departments to learn about other departments, uh, you know, across the country. Uh, it's great to know what's going on in your community and your neighboring communities, but you know, when you can look into the world of a fire department in in Washington State and you're in Florida and you can see their rigs and their staffing and, and everything else. It's just, it was fascinating back then. So um, we've certainly come a long way right now. Uh, now you've got these little devices flying uh, that can, uh, can can do more than the technology did 20 years ago, uh, a million fold, I guess, at this point. So so let, let's talk a little bit about uh, drones, Chief. And, 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 and actually, you know, before we do that, let's just talk a little bit about drone responders, because that's, that's uh, you know, that's something that you're involved with. And, uh, I think, again, that would benefit our readers to learn a little bit more about drone responders. Yeah, we've done some articles, so Firehouse has, has told a little bit about that, but Drone Responders is a nonprofit program. It's the leading nonprofit program in public safety unmanned aircraft systems. Uh, in 2020, we, we received the first place uh, public safety award from the AVSI Exponential, which is the largest unmanned systems conference in the world, but it's really a nonprofit to help advance the unmanned aircraft systems in public safety, fire service, police, uh, emergency management uh, in all those different areas. And um, what we do is we provide resources. So there's a resource center with over 500 documents, uh, SOPs, training programs, task books, checklists, policy manuals, uh, all free. You have to join Drone Responders, but membership is free. So if you go to droneresponders.org, you can take advantage of that. Plus there's a discussion forum where you can go in and talk to people about specific items that you have questions on or interest in. And uh, we also have studies uh, that tell uh, what are the use cases that we're seeing as of spring 2020? We saw over 17 use cases uh, in public safety. And so we're continuing to see the growth. Um, and so there's just a lot of resources there and people can access that to help them, especially if they're trying to start a program. There's a folder starting a program that goes into talking about uh, what's going to be involved. So you understand the guidelines and considerations because you need to fly uh, uh, safely, effectively and legally. Great. Thank you. So, so let's talk a little bit about drones and, and where they're at in the fire service right now, and, and really in public safety, right? Because I think a lot of places it may not necessarily be the fire department that's flying a drone. It might be uh, emergency management, or perhaps the, the police are helping out. Um, but, but where are we at today? You know, here is beginning of 2021. Uh, what are departments doing as far as using drones uh, for their operations? Yeah, so in the fire service, uh, well, and again, I'll back up a second. It, Firehouse Magazine, uh, again, gave me the first opportunity to write my first article on drones. And at that time, I think I identified seven potential areas that I saw uh, that be used for. And starting out early on in 2015, we were seeing, it was probably three main things that drones were being used for. That was damage assessment, traffic crash reconstruction, and uh, and looking for lost persons. Um and, and maybe a fourth one was was um, 
uh, forensic uh, things. But in any case, it was very small and regulations were really strict. Then what happened is regulations changed in 2016 to allow more flexibility and, and an easier path forward to start programs. And so in the fire service, we have really seen uh, this explode from, from fire service applications. But as you mentioned, it goes on beyond that. So in firefighting situations like a structure fire, you're able to fly over that, maintain an overwatch. You're able to use thermal image cameras and see heat signatures, which may identify an issue of a structural integrity of a roof. So you wouldn't put a firefighter on it. You can see some of the fire in different areas that you may not have known it had spread to uh, like in an attic. And in addition, you can use that if you're applying a, uh, a high water stream operation, like a water tower that you can actually see now where the water's going and make sure it's applying to the fire where a lot of times we were missing just because we couldn't see, we were hoping that we were getting it in the right place. Um, and it goes on into the wildfire world. It's being used in a number of different ways in the wildfire uh, community. For one, they use it in advance of the wildfires to determine fuel loads and determine especially those concerns around the urban uh, wildland interface. Uh, and they can take mitigation efforts to, to fix some of that. Then there's the response aspect that it can respond and give some overhead uh, overwatch and, and identifies where a fire is going. And um, so when it comes to wildfires, we had uh, the experience in LA City Fire as an example. Uh, and uh, they they actually uh, were responding to a wildfire and they got a report that it was in one direction. They flew the drone and learned very quickly that the fire was heading in a different direction and were able to redirect resources very quickly. So from a response standpoint, it's also used with thermal imaging to, to identify hotspots. And then there have been examples where a drone returning from a mission actually spotted a new wildfire that had started. So there's all those aspects. And then there's the, the ability to overwatch certain areas to see how close the fire is to actual the firefighters so they can maintain safe proximity. They're even using it after the fire and wildfires to assess the fuel load after the fire to determine what likelihood there is of the fire reoccurring in those areas. So it's kind of exciting. And I think the exciting thing ahead is we're seeing some of the heavier aircraft, not smalls, but uh, unmanned aircraft that will be able to fly during uh, smoke inversions or when weather, when manned aircraft can't fly to do extinguishment and move uh, logistical equipment from one place to another. That's that's incredible. Again, you know, just just so many uses that years ago you would not have even uh, expected that to be a possibility. So, so let's talk about some of the technology that's out there that that our listeners may not be aware of, and, and some of the, you know, some of the ways that they can use this technology and deploy it, uh, whether it's a fire or a rescue scenario. Yeah. So there are um, small unmanned aircraft systems that are being used, um, and again, they're they're being used to uh, for hazmat responses so they can have remote sensors installed on uh, one of the places that uses this a lot and done a lot in hazmat is the southern manatee fire rescue in florida and they can actually fly in advance to determine is it even safe for firefighters to go into a hazmat situation and then they can maintain a current overwatch or if they need a tool in the past you would have had to go out to a cold zone and get the tool and come back now a drone can drop it nearby so you don't lose any time. And they said on average, they've reduced their um, their prep time by an hour on average, just because of having that additional knowledge. When you look at lost persons, we're able to put the drones up very quickly to look in areas uh, to see if we can find lost children or people. And in the evenings or nights, we can go to thermal imagery 
and actually oftentimes see the people as they're walking where you would otherwise not be able to. And then for, uh, for traffic crash reconstruction, being able to use that technology means that we free the roadways more quickly and we reduce secondary accidents and um, make it safer. And, and then we've, we've got uh, in Australia, I just learned they're equipping their entire coast uh, with lifeguards with drones. And you can imagine uh, two life st stations side by side, the one that's closest does the normal operation and the person runs to go do uh, help the person, the swimmer in trouble, while the other station nearby launches a drone with a flotation device. And as it flies overhead, it drops a flotation device and you can guess which one usually gets there first. And one of the more exciting things that people may not know about is uh, drone is a first responder program in Chula Vista PD. And they're now working with the fire department as well launch the drone immediately from dispatch and on average it's usually on the scene in 115 seconds and it's giving immediate assessment back to the dispatcher who can visually stream that information to responders in the field as well so from a law enforcement perspective they can see the situation they're coming into from a fire perspective they can see again uh, the situation they're faced with and determine if additional resources are needed or if they can actually free units uh, in service. And then one of the exciting things that we're seeing is dispatchers that are making those decisions. Did they have a, a police officer and a firefighter fire officer at the 911 center to, to kind of make the decision as to what's going on? Uh, it, it, I would say more in a, you know, a police situation, right? Where um, you, you, the, the 911 operator dispatcher is certainly trained to a high level, uh, but is that a decision that can be made by them or is that by somebody else who's actually a, a a fire unit, I'm sorry, fire or police officer. So I think they have uh, protocol information as to what calls that the drone actually is dispatched on. But once it's launched, uh, I think what the dispatchers do is they see something, they inform either the police officers or the fire officers of the video that's available that they can immediately look at on their devices. And then they'll make decisions from what they can see, or they can even direct the dispatchers to, to fly in a different area and, and give them a different view if that's what they're needing. That's that's just phenomenal technology. Really, just a great use of, of trying to tie all the pieces of the puzzle together to to get as much info as possible to the responders as they're around. It also means that we're capturing information that we can use uh, for accountability. If we're looking to see if there's a if you have a, a tether drone up, for example, and it's flying and you have a collapse, you're able to capture all that information to see where people are, um, and you're also able to capture that video that you can use for training at a later mm -hmm. date. And, you know, after action reports and those kind of things. So when it comes to drones and, and public safety and specifically the fire service, one of the exciting new things is that Pierce Fire Apparatus Manufacturing has created their situational awareness package. Uh, and that allows you to use a tether drone. And what's unique about a tether drone is that it does not require uh, a certificate of authorization and it does not require you to be a remote pilot. So you literally can pull up on the scene and have either it in a compartment or on the cab of the apparatus, push one button, you have a flight of a drone at about 150 feet, providing both visual and thermal to a tablet to an incident commander or his designee. And what that does is it gives you instant situational awareness, both in the visual and the thermal optics, so you can see the thermal signal. But then when we get into the world of free flight drone, that's when the regulations kick in. The regulations themselves uh, provide a requirement of you to be a part 107 remote pilot. Uh, that's basically a knowledge test. And the knowledge test is designed to make sure that you know 
how to fly in the national airspace. So now that you're doing free flight, you need to know when to fly, where to fly, and how to fly. That's when it becomes more difficult. The actual flying is probably the easiest part of this whole thing, but there's a lot of things that go into having a drone program. But let's talk about the applications in the fire service. We're now seeing an overwatch of a structure fire. And in some of the situations we've seen, like in a wind condition where a flying brand may, be, may travel from one structure to another and setting another structure on fire, you would not see that from the ground. The drone gives you an imagery that, that kind of surpasses that direct incident scene and goes beyond that. And we've seen actual locations of that. <clears throat> it also allows you to see at night uh, with thermal image view the, where your people and their locations. And should something happen, you can actually see them very quickly uh, and identify uh, if they're in a bad situation. Uh, what also <clears throat> is taking place is wildfires, is drones are now flying wildfires and giving really important intelligence back to the, the firefighters and, and the commanders. Uh, in LA City Fire, one example is they'd gotten a report that a wildfire was moving in one direction. They put their drone up to fly and it quickly alerted them that the information they had was incorrect and they were able to redirect their resources very quickly. It also allows to see that distance between, in some cases, the firefighters and the head or the fingers of a fire. So they can see the fire traveling and how in, in close proximity they might be to danger. But hazardous materials, uh, which is also the latest article that I've written um, for Firehouse Magazine, is I believe that in a hazmat situation, a drone is an absolute requirement. Yeah. Uh, the Southern Manatee Fire Rescue Department in Florida has demonstrated uh, in so many use cases that it allows a drone to fly in a situation and see um, if it's too dangerous for firefighters to even enter. They're using it for remote sensing to, to identify the substance. They're flying in and zooming in with the camera to determine what the exact problem is. Does it require a valve? Does it require a leak kit? And if they get in there operating in the past, if they needed a tool, they would have to stop and go out and get the tool because you just can't walk into a warm and a hot zone. And now the drone can actually take the tool and drop it in a nearby location for them to be able to operate. And then while they're doing their tasks in hazmat, they're able to monitor uh, what's taking place and see what they couldn't see before because we rely on the verbal communications as to what progress is being made. And should the radio communications fail, the drone can actually be used with the speaker to warn the people to get out, uh, the firefighters to get out of the area. So those are a couple of the areas up front um, of how they're changing our operations, Peter. And I mean, in that particular case, they can they can fly pretty quick, right? It's it's just it's it's a matter of getting it out of the case and 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 um, getting it turned on and 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 letting it warm up and go, right? I mean, so you can if, if you're on you know the the first or second view engine or the chief's car, whoever brings the the drone, you can have that up and, and operating pretty quick, right? Yes, within minutes, you're able to have the drone up and operating. And, and in some cases, uh, you might be in a situation where you're the first one to arrive. Let's use a, a, a train derailment and you're in a rural area. And, and you know, in, in those cases where a lot of the train derailments occur, access is really limited and difficult. Uh, under Part 107 rules, you can fly without a visual observer for a certain period of time and you can put the drone up just to, to check the landscape. What does it look like? How many, how many cars are involved? Uh, are there hazmat cars involved and so on? So you're, you're starting to see the situational awareness. So there are three things that drones really make a difference in as far as the fire service and public safety responses. First and foremost, 
they increase the safety of both the responder mm-hmm. and the citizen because it allows us to see things uh, that we can't see from the ground. And, and I often make a comment and ask the question, would you ever make a, a critical command decision with your eyes closed? In a lot of cases, without you using the drone, you're actually making decisions on information that you don't have. The second piece is that it, provide, it provides um, real-time situational awareness. So you're able to see things as they're occurring and in ways that you would not see before. And third, because of that information that you have, you're increasing or improving the operational effectiveness of the incident scene. So everything starts to change because you have information uh, that you can act on. And then this can all be recorded. It can be streamed. And what we've seen in major disasters now is that the drones are able to get up quickly and fly and tell us how bad is bad. And as, mm-hmm. as you know, Peter, we've seen that the floods, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, uh, mudslides, whatever it is, the, the weather events that we've had have been just uh, catastrophic, wildfires. So the ability of these drones to provide information in new ways makes a difference in how we operate. And, you know, so you mentioned the floods, and that's that's interesting. In, in the five, six years I've lived now in Texas, um, you know, this I'm in Fort Worth, and, and this area was pretty dry from what I understand before I moved here. The occasional, you know, occasional storm. The streets, I mean, they, they swell up with water if there's rain, but it wasn't that bad. And, I mean, they've had a couple hundred-year storms in this region since I've lived here. And, and Johnson County, which is just south of here, um, their emergency management uh, office, they fly all the time on these on these you know, floods because the the dry creek beds turn into rivers in seconds and they're able to get out there and assess the situations. And I mean, we've seen that in other places. I, I think we've seen a few, you know, videos on the news and we probably run a few on firehouse.com where you, you see those folks literally clinging to a tree. It would take you how long to get a boat, get the boat in the water and, you know, make your way through all the debris to finally find the person before you can really act on something, whereas the drone's up in a few minutes. And you know, all of a sudden you're finding victims left and right. And I mean, think, think about what would have been able to be accomplished with a drone, say, during Hurricane Katrina, when you had that widespread flooding um, and you were trying to find folks and, you know, map it out and find out where they're at. Now, you know, there's GPS and everything else in there. So, so, so I mean, what are, what are some of the best practices? And the article that you mentioned that just came out, it's in the December issue, uh, we'll put a link to that on the firehouse.com podcast player page. But uh, what are some other uses that you're seeing out there? Or what are some of the best practices that uh, that you've heard from other uh, agencies? Yeah, so we're seeing um, drones used for damage assessments. Uh, so you can very quickly after a storm do damage assessments. And one of the one of the big nuances that, and we're, we're working to hopefully announce a partnership with Esri soon, is that uh, they were able to fly out in the wildfires in California where they were catastrophic. I mean, entire communities devastated. And they were able to take the imagery and do uh, 360 panoramic views of different areas, put it on a map so that information could then be accessible to the citizens that lived in that area to determine what their conditions were. So that's part of it. Uh, during the floods and the, and the hurricanes, they really were the, the changing dynamic in the perception and acceptance by the public. Uh, those flights, in, literally in, in Texas for Harvey and Florida for Irma and in Puerto Rico for Maria, uh, tens of thousands of unmanned aircraft system flights were flown to provide information as to 
the the floodwaters, what were where where they were affecting areas, uh, people that were in need of rescue, uh, as well as monitoring uh, as the as the waters receded to know what roads were open and closed. Okay. So it, it again gave a progression of of how that could be used. Um, and then we're seeing, you know, on on a law enforcement side, and this but this also plays into the, the fire service. We're seeing traffic crash reconstruction by drones. And what's important about this that you need to understand about drones is oftentimes uh, you may have a fire department actually flying uh, a law enforcement mission because if they're the only ones flying, they're flying all the missions. And one great example of a team that's working in Virginia is the York County, Virginia Fire and Life Safety, uh, with the the uh, York County and Pocosin Sheriff's Department uh, working together as a combined team so that when they uh, fly to a traffic crash reconstruction, it may be the fire guys flying or it might be the law enforcement guys flying for a fire. So they trade off and who's doing it. But from a traffic crash reconstruction, the reason that's important to public safety and the fire service in general is that it can be done in a third of the time as far as that investigation on the scene, which means it opens the roadway and it reduces that secondary accident that we're seeing so many of our responders, fire, police, EMS, mm -hmm. uh, being involved in that 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 oncoming crash. Wow. And, and, and so, uh, you know, what's what's a, a, I guess, an investment in the technology? Uh, I mean, you'd have to have somebody that's an incident command technician or literally somebody assigned to drone. Or, do you need two people for a drone to, to get it? Operating, I, I know you know that the, the the folks who have the pilot's license they have to have, you know, the pilot and then the uh, I guess the first officer, right? Somebody that's observing where it's at. Yeah. So when you're flying, typically um, what uh, what we and and I'm also the director of drone responders. Drone responders recommends that for anybody who's going to have a program that you that you train yourself under Part 107, um, that's make sure he has the, the the air knowledge. And then we're working with NIST. Uh, as far as a proficiency flight. But, you know, one of the things that's important to understand, if you're going to do a drone program, um, you can also go to drone responders, and I'll, and I'll provide you the link that, that you can have this to provide to, you know, the firehouse readers and, and subscribers, um, is you need to know what you're going to get into. And there's considerations because, as I mentioned, flying is the easiest part. You're going to have to go in to determine what kind of missions you're going to fly. Um, Drone responders, we have a resource center that goes into SOPs and training programs and, and all the different requirements, but you're going to have to understand what are the requirements to train your personnel, what are the requirements as far as FAA regulations, as far as registrations go, uh, and then the training, and then the maintenance, and then the flight logs, and the, so there's a lot of things that go into doing a drone program. Okay. And... and... Where where when are the departments started? I know a lot of departments already have the technology, but what what are the first steps once you determine what it is that you want to do, what your missions will be? Um, what's the next steps for a department? Um, and again, maybe that's something drone responders can help out with too. Yeah, well, I think the first thing that you do is you find a department that is similar to yourself, and you work with them as a mentor uh, because they can they can walk you through all the things they've already learned. But I will tell you, the first thing that you need to do is you have to do a, a community outreach program. You have to be transparent from the beginning. You have to involve your community. You have to tell them what the drone is going to be used for, what it's not going to be used for. Uh, give examples and demos uh, so that people can actually get a feel for what the value is. And in most cases, as long as you're doing it that way, uh, the community is very responsive and accepting, accepting of the program. 
Uh, and Drone Responders also has an outreach program that's a template that walks you through how, how you might be able to do this in your community by having town hall meetings and doing demonstrations and those kind of things. So, so the information is out there. The good news is that everybody who's coming in now has a lot of people to follow uh, and a lot of people that are willing to help. So uh, that's the good news. Okay. And, and what are some departments out there um, that, that have really kind of nailed this down? I mean, just, just you know, for a point of reference for other agencies, um, you know, some folks they could look, look towards talking to. Yeah, so it's kind of exciting. I mean, uh, we, uh, we work with uh, FDNY. Uh, Captain Michael Leo up there runs their program. They've, they've got a great program going forward. They did a lot of research. So if you're looking from a metropolitan city, high-rise buildings, he's the guy you want to talk to because of the research they've done, understanding the urban canyons, what it means for GPS signal, how that affects navigation, and also the, the radio interference. Um, on the West Coast, you're looking at LA City Fire doing a great program out there, uh, looking at tethered and uh, free flight drones as well. Uh, really being progressive. And then in, in Texas, you've got Austin Fire Department down there with Coit Kessler, uh, who was one of the, the first pioneers uh, that are doing things. And then um, in Colorado, uh, they have a great program as far as the, oh gosh, I hope I don't get this wrong, but the Center of Excellence for Aerial Firefighting. Uh, ben Miller out there has been leading the charge and we're actually working drone responders as part of a, a, a program or a, a um, a grant, if you will, with NFPA on on a drone training program that we're doing collectively with some other stakeholders as well. Um, and in Florida, you've got Miami-Dade Florida Fire. Um, and in, and in, if you look overseas, you're talking about the London Fire Brigade, uh, Croatia Fire Brigade, and some others. So there's a lot of places out there that are doing great things. And it's really exciting to see the expansion and use of drones. Um, they will ultimately make it safer for us as responders, but also to do that. And one of the exciting things that I need to share with people is that this year, drone responders working with uh, the Chula Vista Police Department and uh, York County Fire Rescue and Paraland, Texas PD, worked with the FAA to get what's now called a tactical beyond visual on site waiver. So in most cases, uh, you can fly 400 feet, depending on the controlled airspace you're in, and um, and for the fire service, if we have a certificate of authorization or a COA, we can fly over people in the areas that we're operating, but we could not fly beyond visual on a site. And we were able to work with the FAA to create a 1500 feet exemption from, uh, from us laterally to fly over buildings around buildings so that we could actually uh, keep our remote pilots out of harm's way. So if a hazmat situation occurred, we might not be able to put the pilot where, where he or she needs to be. Um, and now we can fly those distances for dangerous missions. So it might be getting access to doing a search in a very uh, cliff type uh, terrain. We can fly beyond visual on site with that distance to do search for lost persons or in a, an active shooter situation, we can fly around buildings, uh, completely around the buildings or over the building to the other side where we couldn't do that before. So the FAA is being very helpful in moving forward. And I, I will share one program with you that, that I know uh, is, is of interest is a program called the Drone as a First Responder. And the Chula Vista PD under the integration pilot projects with the FAA developed a strategy where they launch a drone immediately from dispatch 
to the incident scene and it gives an immediate overwatch and information back to the dispatch and it's controlled by a telecommunicator in the dispatch center. So now they're flying, getting instant information. And I know that the fire department who I have got to reach back to in Chula Vista is, is also using it now. So when they have a fire or an emergency incident, it's over the scene giving real time information to them as well. But I will tell you one story that uh, that's a changing dynamic is Chula Vista PD had a report of a person outside of a restaurant with a gun. They were able to fly the drone and very quickly determine with the zoom capability that the gun was actually a cigarette lighter gun. And so that dramatically oh, wow. changed the situation. But you can imagine from a fire situation, we arrive on the scene, now you've got eyes on that suddenly you see there's an immediate rescue that's needed from an upper floor. You see the fire spreading in different locations. You know, hazmat, you might see a spill in which direction it's going. And suddenly we have information that we're able to act on before we even arrive at the scene. So we might need to increase the number of response units, or in some cases we can actually reduce the response as they've seen in Chula Vista and return units to service. So it really, it affects us how we operate in, in major ways. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And going back to, you know, just a few years ago, uh, the traffic cams, right? I mean, that, that gave places or, you know, agencies a, a heads up on the, some of the instances they responded to on freeways and, and service roads and stuff like that. You could see it wasn't over through a tanker or the direction of travel. Um, you know, that's, that's that free response uh, idea there. So um, it's just, it's amazing the, the amount of data that can be collected and, and how it's done. And, and even, you know, the quality of the, of the videos too, um, at this point, uh, we, we see a lot of submissions of uh, hot shots for the magazine and, and the videos that come in. And really, I just, you know, it does paint the picture. You can see that the roof's starting to collapse. Or, you know, there's a video I saw two, three years ago, and it was the, the quality of the video wasn't great, but you could literally see like the AB corner or the VC corner was already starting to pull away. It was very visible from the top because you could see the fire coming right up in between, but you couldn't see it from the ground if, if memory calls correct. So um, that, that extra set of eyes is just phenomenal. Um, well, in the in the Notre and in the Notre Dame fire, uh, the drone was actually able to fly over and determine the best point of uh, making an attack. And it was interesting. Here's okay. a combination of your drone telling you where to attack, and then the use of the Colossus robot to take in a heavy stream to actually stop the spread of fire from that one point of the cathedral to the other. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, just just really, uh, who would who would have thought technology would play this much of a role? Um, you know, in just every aspect of it. So, so what, what should the fire service expect down the road? I mean, what's, what's going to be uh, big in 2021 and, and, you know, what do you see on the horizon in 2022 and beyond? Well, my, my first thought is, is that every fire department should have a drone or access to a drone. If you're, if your law enforcement agency has one, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to have one of your own or do one as a, as a combined team, because then you can, <clears throat> you can share the resources, as you know, in a fire situation, when we have a large fire, we want we, we probably have all hands really focused on fighting the fire. So if we have kind of a partner from our law enforcement team that can fly those missions, and in, in return, mm -hmm. when they have a, a police mission, an active shooter or something like that, that, that we can fly and, and cover them so that we can put our, our dedicated resources in place and not take away from it. But I think that every, every department should have access to drone uh, services in some way because okay. it's, it's such a dramatic game changer. And, and, and again, I, I'll say that one of the places to start, and this is really important for volunteer companies who may have limited funding, an actively tethered drone 
is something that you pull up on the scene. And in most cases, you're within a proximity that that tethered drone is going to tell you about all that you need to know uh, on that particular incident. And, and also, because it's a tethered, what's unique and different is that it provides continuous power through that tether line. So you don't have to change batteries and it can maintain a constant overwatch for the entire operation, which also means it's something you can use as a training tool afterwards. Yep. Uh, you know, what did we do? When did it happen? And if something bad happens, you're able to actually capture that and learn from it. So, um, you know, then transition into to doing uh, incident scenes, uh, fire investigations. Uh, you can start using the drones to do 3D mapping. Uh, so after the fire, you do a 3D map for your fire investigators. It gets very high resolution imagery, which you can actually turn and look at from all different angles later. So um, it's amazing. And I, and I will tell you what's really been been fun to watch is that we went from probably three standard use cases, and that would be damage assessment, traffic crash reconstruction, and looking for lost persons in the beginning, to our study in 2020 that shows we now have over 17 public safety use cases. Wow. Okay. That's incredible. So think, think about this. You also have floods and you have people that are in trouble or you have people on the beach uh, that are having trouble uh, because of riptide. And now yeah. drones can carry flotation devices and drop flotation devices right to where the people are. And in fact, in lifeguard operations in some places, they have a simultaneous operation. So this, the closest person to the person in trouble goes as normal, you know, does the run and goes after the person swimming while at the same time, the next station over launches the drone. Well, you can imagine which one gets there first. And by dropping that flotation device changes the dynamic of a rescue. You know, when you're trying to rescue a panicked swimmer, that's one of the most dangerous situations you'll be in. Yeah. But it's, it's maintaining the fact that it's going to be a rescue versus recovery at that point, it sounds like in, in a lot of those cases. And actually interesting, right? So the cliff rescues, right? If you've got somebody yeah. who's way out again to get, to get the resources there, um, a, a friend of mine moved out to Colorado and, you know, they do a lot of rescues out in the mountains with the uh, all-terrain vehicles. And it's, it's taking them quite a while, you know, to sometimes get there. So at least you can, you know, you can fly that drone and find out where they are on the trail. And, and like you said before, right, there's two-way communication. So they can they can talk to them and reassure them somebody's coming and, and you know, to kind of um, calm that person's concerns about getting out and getting out safely. Um, just really, you know, the, the, the advanced team to a degree. So... Well, in Australia, they're developing, uh, companies developing a new uh, microphone speaker combination that can be fine-tuned and narrowed in its uh, its angle of of reception uh, and, and do noise cancellation to actually listen for people and communicate out to people. So if you are look, listening for somebody shouting, you can actually hear the shouting and tune into it and then be, have a conversation. Should you find the person, stay where you are, we're right there. Then your drone, in most cases, provides you your Latin long. So it tells you where the person's located that you can give to ground searchers. So it's dynamically changing. We also saw in the UK uh, a simulation of a, a rescue of a person who's lost and the drone was using thermal imagery. They could see the person waving their arms. They could see that they were alive, um, but they could also see that the rescuers making their way to the lost person that in their path was a waterway uh, that they otherwise couldn't have seen in, in, in zero darkness. Uh, and they were able to warn them of, as you're approaching, you're, you're now getting very close to the water itself. And so, again, the hazards that can be shared to the responders on incident scenes or during searches or on cliffs or in hazmat situations is phenomenal. That's just incredible. And then, so, so going back to what you mentioned before, right, is, is police is kind of the first place to look for if you, if you, if you don't have a drone in your fire department. 
Um, like I mentioned before, Johnson County here in Texas, they've got an incredible program there where they've got, you know, those drones and those things are deployed rapidly. Um, so emergency management offices, are there other places that departments could go and look for, you know, resources, county coordinators, that kind of stuff? Um, what, what if a civilian comes up to you at a scene and, and they say, hey, I have a drone, would you like to use it? Are there any, um, any items that fire departments need to be aware of, whether it's a security issue or a safety issue or, you know, a privacy HIPAA type issue? Because um, I'm sure that's happened before where folks come up to try and offer some assistance and you want to do it. But what's, you know, what, what are some best practices there that you could share? Yeah, typically it's a safety issue, and as as anything else, it's it becomes a liability issue. the The big thing you have to be concerned with there is you don't know their level of knowledge, experience, or expertise in flying the drone. So it's better that you use people that you know have uh, have a reputation in advance. So it's it's not often a good idea to use someone who just shows up and volunteers. Uh, and the FAA actually frowns upon those kind of missions by hobbyists and other people just because they're not trained for the environment or the situations. And they may not know the national airspace that they're involved in. So you could be flying in some some congested airspace, which could be creating a bigger problem than what you have on the ground. Okay. All right. And, and Chief, so can you tell us, I know we've, we've talked about it a few times, uh, kind of glanced over, but Drone responders, what are some of the services that they can provide and how can uh, how can our listeners reach out to you guys for more resources? Yeah, so Drone Responders is a nonprofit program under the Airborne International Response Team uh, leading the way in the areas of, uh, of the entire UAS ecosystem. So we look at drones for good enabling. We look at countering drones that are nefarious or have a negative intent, as well as looking at air traffic management and how do we manage that space. Uh, so we're partnered with a lot of different organizations like NASA Ames and some others with the Stereo Project, which is unmanned traffic management during an emergency event, incident, or disaster. Um, but what Drone Responders does most of all is it, it's a connector. It has a resource center with over 500 documents that people can actually take advantage of and learn from the others that have already paved the way. Many of us that started out in this from the very beginning had no reference material and we're really kind of building it from scratch. Um, and we can also, if you have questions, we, we take questions, we connect people with other departments, uh, but our information goes into how to, how to start a program, what are the guidelines and considerations. It goes into providing all kinds of resources about um, what, you can, what to do, what not to do, best practices, SOPs, training manuals, checklists, task books, uh, all those things are out there. But again, we can connect you with other departments uh, that you may be trying to work with that are close to you that you can actually learn from more directly. That seems to be uh, the fastest way to, to move forward is by working with somebody else that you know and trust. Great, thank you. Anything else today uh, before we, we wrap up? No, I think that the big thing is drones offer a lot more than people realize. Uh, again, if you think about the drone, uh, let's just take away from the flying vehicle for a minute. It's basically a vehicle to transmit data. And, and that data can be in the form of, a, of an image, uh, of a thermal image, or it can be data from a sensor uh, where you're flying and detecting hazmat, uh, or you're doing uh, radiation. They've used it in Chernobyl to go over and fly areas to determine which areas are still impacted by residual radiation. Uh, so being able to see and look at suspicious packages, um, there are just so many things that drones are going to be offering 
uh, that we have just got the tip of the iceberg. And I think the exciting thing is we're looking now at, you know, what's artificial intelligence going to bring to it so that we can do searches and it can identify anomalies and, uh, and tell us, look at these, these couple of items because they look odd or they could be the person you're looking for. And even be able to identify a color that we're looking for in the drone, it pops up and tells you here's the color. So if a, if a child's wearing a blue coat, uh, that it can tell you that this looks like a blue coat. And uh, like the artificial intelligence is already doing things where they're doing shark patrols, where it can actually monitor overhead to see if there's a shark in the area. And it can actually differentiate between a, a dolphin and a shark and only give an alert when a shark is there. So uh, there's so much more to come. We've only seen the tip of the iceberg. So we're looking at, you know, one person flying multiple aircraft, swarms doing searches. Uh, it's going to be an exciting time and 2021 is going to be uh, an even better year for drones and public safety. Well, looking forward to it, looking forward to see what you have down the road. And, and you know, again, thanks for the column over the years. We're working on some more drone content for 2021. It's, it's just, it's evolving so quickly. And, um, you know, thanks to, to you just for kind of helping us uh, keep all of that under control and bring out the most important and the most recent information. Um, Chief, I forgot to mention before, too, with your bio, um, you know, you, you're also a, 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 an inducted member of the Firehouse Hall of Fame. So I think that's just something big. Hopefully that was a a feather in your hat uh, as much as it was for us to be able to give you that honor just for all the work you've done for us and you know i just want to make sure that you get recognized in the podcast for that because we can't say thank you enough to you for all that you've done um but i appreciate you joining us for the podcast this has been great and we'll have to check in with you uh next year and just kind of see where things are at i don't i don't think uh you know uh, by the time this gets posted there's probably going to be two or three changes right it's just as it evolves so much and Hopefully a couple more lives will be uh, positively impacted and saved um, by the time this podcast hits, uh, hits the airwaves. So thank you. Well, and thanks Firehouse Magazine and Firehouse.com for being kind of that outlet of being able to get the communication to that because I do get emails from people from around the country uh, either asking questions or thanking for the information to help them get their program started in, in all the different areas of technology that we've we've been working on. So it, it's a it's a two way street. And I thank Firehouse Magazine and Firehouse.com for the opportunity to be um, involved. All right, Chief. Well, thank you so much. Uh, just before we wrap, is there uh, a way for them to contact you? Yeah, they can send an email to Charles at DroneResponders.org. Great. Chief, thank you so much. And uh, again, thanks to all the listeners for, for downloading and or streaming. And a big thank you to MSA and Globe for their sponsorship of this podcast series. This podcast is sponsored by MSA Globe. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop advanced safety equipment with performance and protection in perfect balance. Like Globe Athletics, the latest innovation in turnout gear. Developed as athletic gear for firefighters, Athletics uses unique stretch fabrics that provide body contoured fit for unprecedented range of motion and flexibility. It's lighter weight, less bulky, and provides the protection you need from your Globe turnout gear. Get the full story at msa.com globe.